Welcome to the special focus meeting of Young People and Young in Heart. My name is Mickey. I am a compulsive overeater and the moderator for this meeting. Hi. Hi. Welcome. Help us preserve the cherished tradition of anonymity by refraining from taking pictures in this or any other meeting room. The format for this session is a reading, speaker, and sharing on the topic from the group. The reading is from for today, page 36 of the for today book, and it says, True happiness is of a retired nature and an enemy to pomp and noise. It arises in the first place from the enjoyment of one's self, and in the next from the friendship and conversation of a few selected companions. The quote is by Joseph Addison. Feeling good about myself is the most basic requirement of happiness. It is liking myself unconditionally, feeling worthwhile just because I exist. My worth is determined by me and has nothing to do with public acclaim, the number of people I know, or the size and decibel level of the parties I attend. I may enjoy any or all these things, but they are not the source of my happiness. For today, I go to any length to practice the 12-step program because its entire purpose is to enable me to feel good about myself. Okay. Our speaker today is David from Sherman Oaks, Sherman Oaks California, who will speak for 25 minutes. Okay. David? Let me turn it over back to you. And, yes. Okay. Okay. Uh, my name is David. I'm a compulsive reader. Hi, David. And um, I thank Ida for asking me uh, to lead this panel and for Mickey for, for organizing um, this. Today, I'll just... Uh, I haven't really even thought about what I was going to say, which is a good thing. Years ago, I used to plan, you know, get so nervous if I was going to have to share, and um, I wasn't sure. And it's been a busy, busy day. And and when I was, uh, I was just in the pool with with my uh, kids and, and, and my wife and some friends, and just rushing to get back up here. And uh, I, I said, you know, my higher power just tell me whatever I'm supposed to share on on the topic. And uh, and all of a sudden, while Mickey was reading the for today, that's exactly my story, and that's what I really want to share share about. Other, you know, um, I'll I'll keep it. Um, why this topic on, on young people makes a lot of sense for me, but uh, um, recovery is about what the reading was for me, and it's about liking myself and not having to impress people, or it's not all the all the stuff out there is on the inside, and that's what always given me. And so, as Mickey was reading, I said, that's, that's it. It doesn't always work that way. Sometimes I go to something and, you know. But anyway, uh, I'll give you some statistics and tell you a little bit about what it used to be like, what, it, what happened, and what it's like now. And um, what it used to be like uh, was that um, I was, I believe I was a compulsive reader from the, beginning. I don't, there was not a time, some people in OA share that, you know, they were normal, their weight was normal, they had a normal relationship with food, and then something happened, you know, and then all of a sudden they started using food to get through it, or they started gaining weight and became a compulsive reader. But for me, I always had an issue with weight as a, as, as a baby, I remember, and I had an issue, and I had a love obsession with food. From the get-go, uh, I'm very fortunate because I have a very good memory, and I can remember from the time I was about two or three years old. And my first memories are about feeling embarrassed about my weight, not liking myself, feeling inferior, uh, 
upset with life because life was never going the way I wanted, um, even as a child. And then with food, it was, even in nursery school, you know, I would get all excited at snack time. And, and, and I should have swapped meetings. The way I knew I was a compulsive reader then is if they were serving cookies for snack, I was excited. If it was only crackers or something not exciting, I wasn't excited. What they served dictated how, how I reacted and what my mood was like. And that says it right there that I was a compulsive reader. You know, I had an unnatural obsession with food, an unnatural um, um, uh, focus, you know, and all kids, you know, especially now that I have little kids, um, they're into food, they love junk food, you tell them a cookie and they, you know, but it, it's, but they turn it off, even, I have a, my daughter has a little bit of a stomach, you know, not, not much, a little bit chunky, you know, and she sometimes really likes her food, but, you know, she, at school, the de- they, I guess the dentist came and spoke and talked about the, the sugar bugs on her teeth and it's like oh I don't want chocolate because I'll get sugar bugs on my teeth or you know and it's I, I wouldn't have cared when I was a kid you know that wouldn't have stopped me or um, you know my son loves loves cake but he'll take a little bit of the icing or you know he'll start eating it and then he'll get bored with it after a while I never I, you know to this day I eat you know if I have something on my plate and it's not that great God forbid I should just throw it away and say, you know what, so I'll, you know, next meal I'll just have a little extra or whatever. No, if it's on my plate and if, I, if it's my meal, I'm going to finish it even if I don't like it. You know, I remember, um, this tells you I'm still a compulsive reader. I, I, I like avocados. And, you know, I don't eat very much of it. But I, I remember I, I put a piece, you know, a, little, a few slices of avocado in a salad of mine. And it was one of those avocados that was just not ripe enough and had no flavor. Why waste the 100 calories or whatever? Why not throw it away? No, I had planned my avocado, and I was going to eat that avocado because it was, you know, and this was like a year ago. And I said, see, still a compulsive reader, you know. Um, you know, uh, it's just different. With food, I, I just react differently. Um, I... Uh, I had a real hard time as a young, as a child with friends because of my um, inferiority complex and not liking myself. And I really couldn't, I felt if I'm so fat and ugly and stupid, why would anybody want to be my friend? And so I didn't, I didn't, I really had a hard time keep making or keeping friends. And if somebody talked cross at me or didn't walk to school with me one day, I could never be their friend again because I knew they hated me and that was it. And I never could face them again. And I went very, very early on, I just uh, lost all friends because I, I, I didn't know how to, uh, how to interact with people. And, and, and it was easier for me. People were too difficult. And it was a lot easier uh, just, you know, isolating. And food, it was the great friend, you know. Food, food filled that I really had a hole inside me, and food really filled it. Uh, food was excitement. It was something to think about. And, um, you know, if I w- when I was in elementary school, you know, it's, I couldn't wait until lunchtime and thinking about lunch while I was in school. And then, you know, as soon as while I was having lunch, it's thinking about what I was going to eat when I came home from school. And it was constantly like that. Um, you know, as I got a little older, I, I would, I never volunteered. Uh, none of us were good helpers at our house. You know, my parents were, didn't, we didn't have a lot of discipline. But when it came to clearing off the table, I was, that was the one thing I would volunteer because I would be able to eat more. Whatever I ate at dinner, I could keep taking more and nobody, nobody would see it. You know, and then when I was done with that, it was what I could sneak in my bedroom. You know, the way I was a compulsive reader, I didn't eat huge quantities, but I ate all the time. It was like an IV drip. I had to constantly have food. Um, And and, and in elementary school, I was called names, you know, all the cruel names kids called fat children. 
Um, and I was one of the heaviest kids there. I was, you know, not the heaviest. There was always one or two kids that were more obese, but I was pretty heavy. Uh, and it was interesting, too, part of it, part of the thing, I look at pictures now of when I was a child, especially really young. And, you know, I was really chubby, but I wasn't ugly. And, I, you know, it, was, it wasn't, I was a fairly cute kid. But I, but it didn't matter what the reality was. My, it was my perception. And my parents would say, you know, my parents would say I was a chubby baby and a chubby kid. And so that became my perception of myself all the time. And I look back at pictures and I wasn't as, you know, as heavy as a, as a young, as a baby as, as I thought of myself. And even my obesity, you know, I was very, very obese, but it was even more magnified, and I had such a poor body image. Uh, I know that I was double. I have a brother five years younger than me, and I remember in one grade I weighed 140 pounds. Five years later, when he was in that same grade, he weighed like 70 pounds. So I know I was quite obese as a, as a child. Um, and I really didn't see the connection with my love for food and for food filling the hole because I just thought I was born obese. I was always going to be. That was just like I have black hair and, you know, light skin. That, that I just thought that's who I was. I had no idea that anything could happen. And um, when I was 10 years old was the only time I lost weight um, up to that point. And uh, my dad, um, my dad's oldest nephew was... My dad had a sister, my dad was from Israel and he had a, he hadn't been back. He had come to this country, met my mother, they got married. I was born a year later and he never had gone back. And when um, when I was turning ten years old, his oldest nephew there was getting married, and uh, my mom had to stay home with my brother, and so I got to go with on that trip with my dad. And I always talk about that because I I lost weight on that trip, and it was the first time in my life I lost weight. But it also gave me the glimmer that maybe I wouldn't be fat my whole life. And that was the first time I realized that maybe there's a, you know, that the amount of food I was eating had something to do with the weight. Up to that point, I I didn't put the two together. Um, I also, when I went to Israel, I got a lot of love. I had an aunt and three cousins, and my dad had lots of cousins. And I got unconditional love. Nobody criticized me about my weight. Nobody had past things. I didn't, you know, nobody, there was no history with anybody there. It was just pure love for who I was. And I, I even break up now talking about it. But when I left, I was only there two weeks. I cried. The whole, there was, my family lived in the north, and it was like a two, three-hour drive to the airport, and I cried the whole way. And, and it was because it was just pure love I got. And it was the first time I really felt it. And it was the first time I felt people loved me. I didn't feel my parents loved me. My rel- I had a lot of cousins my age. I, didn't, I never felt love, but there I felt love. And I wonder if it was to a reason those two weeks, my, part of it was it was a geographic. My aunt didn't make the food that my mom made, so it was, I wasn't used to binging on that food. And, um, and I didn't feel well. The weather was different, the climate. Um, but I lost weight. I lost about 20 pounds over the next couple of weeks even from that. We also went to Europe, I should say. So I was gone a month, and I think I lost about 15 to 20 pounds, which was significant. And at that time, I was wearing sizes bigger than I wear today. I was wearing men's 34, 36. So for a 9, 10-year-old, that's huge. Um, and when I came home, I, I remember telling my mom, I want to lose weight. I want to continue to lose weight because I got so much attention for that weight loss. And I really tried, and I, you know, found, I think it was called the Stillman's Diet, was the first one I went on. And I really tried, and I looked, I got all excited about all the food my mother was going to cook me, and, and I couldn't even make it one day. I couldn't make it that first evening. I had to go to bed like at 7 o'clock at night because I had, without the food, I had no life. I had nothing. It was so lonely and so horrible, I couldn't make it. And I had to ask my mother for something more to eat because I couldn't make it. And that was, became my history of dieting. I usually couldn't even make a day. If I could make five, or five days, that was a lot. I, 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 and I don't ever remember two weeks in a row being able to diet. Weekends would never count in my mind, you know. Um, 
but that was my history with dieting. And what happened was I would gain weight. The, the dieting helped me gain weight more rapidly to deprivation. And eventually I would do diets like, you know, like on Stillman's, I believe, if I remember the right diets, but I think that was where you had all the meat and stuff like that, but you couldn't eat any bread or anything. And I would purposely eat a half a slice of bread or something not on that plan. Then I could say, oh, I blew it, and then I'd eat everything I wanted. I, I didn't know gray. I, it was black or white. Um, in 1972, uh, my mother came to OA. She was obese. We did a lot of binge eating together. And she took me to a few meetings. And I thought OA was great for her, but she had too many OA friends, and she went to too many meetings. And, um, you know, it wasn't for me. And I really couldn't even think. I was in seven, excuse me, it was 73. I was 12 years old, and... Um, I, I just couldn't think, you know, she was on, uh, uh, at that time they had a food plan in a way called Gray Sheet, and it was very, um, very structured, and I couldn't even think, you know, to say I'll never eat these foods again, or to just, and it was so uh, strict, it, it really was, it, it, and I won't go in there, but it was, it really, that's what I thought OA was, and if I couldn't do that, I didn't really think OA was for me, and my mother used OA as a diet club and social club. Those were the, and not even to, I don't even think together, but that was, you know, she could never get more than 30 days. And it was just a, a good diet for her, good friends, um, but she couldn't, she couldn't get it together. But it did, I did hear a few things in OA when I, was, when I went with her. And I remember hearing, don't take that first bite. And I was starting junior high school, and to me, my cousin told me she gained a lot of weight on the coffee cakes in our junior high school because she went to the same junior high. And so I said, okay, I won't, take that. I won't eat that first coffee cake. And I went months and months without eating that coffee cake. But once I had one, every day I had to have one, and then two and then three. So, and then I, and then I you know, it would take me months to get off it, and I did that pattern several times. But that was about all I learned in a way. And for three years I went through junior high school, um, by the time I was done, I was 15, I, I, it started becoming clear that there was going to be no magic diet. I tried so many diets, and I realized that I could not diet. Um, and some days I could eat diet-type food, which was cottage cheese and fruit and healthy, and other days I couldn't. It, it became like I hit bottom with dieting. I was lucky, I guess, at 15. I just, it became clear. It was just days I could eat healthy, days I could, you know, couldn't. Um, and in 1976, in June, is when I can't when I came to OA because um, there was my mother got back into OA. In fact, she got because of the convention. They, they used to have a big World Service convention every May in um, Los Angeles, and and in those days there wasn't a lot of OA and there wasn't a lot of events. And that convention would galvanize people would just all come out of the woodworks and and and. That convention got my mother to go back to OA, and, and, and she got involved. And, and she met a friend of hers who had taken her to OA to begin with, had a son my age, and she met her at that convention. Or maybe she took her to that convention, and her friend said, you know, my son Michael's going to start going to this OA teen group. Why don't you get David to go? They can, we can drive them together. And that's how I started OA. June 1976, I had just graduated junior high school, and, and I started going to this teen group in Beverly Hills. And um, it was to me, it was more like therapy. I, you know, it, was, it wasn't a, a formal structure like these meetings, but it was what I needed. I really didn't think I had joined. I just thought I was going every Wednesday because my mom had asked me to. I wasn't. I didn't talk. I I knew nobody liked me there, but I did keep coming, keep going, and. When I started high school, what happened was I really felt like, you know, high school is my last chance. I had a, a pediatrician tell my mom I was going to be 250 pounds by the time I would start college, and I'd probably have a heart attack at 20 with my family's uh, health history. And I really didn't think I'd even live to be 18. I really was, I had this fear of death, and I really thought, you know, David, you're not very healthy. You know, you'll probably die by the time you're 18. And for sure, I thought... If I ever live to be an adult, I'll probably 
being one of these people who have to live at home, just, you know, I'll probably never be able to function outside my parents' home. I really didn't believe I could do it, and I had this real fear of life. Um, fear of death, death and fear of living, not, no, you know, of the future. And, um, and I really felt maybe high school would be my last chance to turn my life around. I wasn't a very good student. Um, I had nothing going for me. You know, and I really felt like I must be the biggest failure because everybody must be good in something, and I didn't think I was good in anything. Um, and I, for some reason, I did start, after going to OA for a few months, I really felt that maybe OA, maybe I didn't think I could help me with my eating, but I did think it might help me with my life. And I didn't stop going even after the new television series started in September. You know, that usually was... That's what I lived for. That was that helped that and the food and filled filled the time, the boredom. But even though Wednesday had a lot of good shows, I even in September I kept coming to OA. And in October is when I date my absence, October 1976, because the leader of that group who later became my sponsor said, "Why don't you just, David? You know, if you I wanted to just stop gaining weight at that point. I got to say also I was going through puberty, and I think." that I was gaining weight less rapidly than my body was growing up. But, so I probably had about 40, 50 pounds to lose. What Probably wasn't my heaviest, but with my body image, I didn't know the difference. But I just wanted to stop gaining weight because I really thought if I can stop gaining weight, I'll, keep, I'll eventually maybe outgrow my weight. And if I ever, you know, get to a halfway normal weight, I, you know, maybe then I will like myself and then I won't want to eat. I really believe those stuff. So I asked for help with the group, and, and, and the guy uh, said, why don't you call in to your friend who you're driving to the meeting with every day what you're going to eat? And, you know, I thought, well, maybe because he's involved in OA and his mom's involved in OA, you know, he seemed to want me to call in my food. To He said after the meeting, oh, yeah, David, you can call in what you're going to eat every day to me. And that's how I date my absence. It wasn't. I didn't go on a food plan. I didn't do it like my mother. I didn't think I was abstaining. I just started calling in what I was going to eat. And I started losing. I didn't, you know, and I was just to not gain weight. But what happened is I started losing weight. And then a few months, go a few months ahead, and, and all of a sudden we started a second team meeting. And, I, and my mom said, well, why didn't you go with me on Monday nights to this big OA meeting, and then you could announce your team meeting? So all of a sudden, I'm now, from somebody who didn't want to be like my mom, didn't go to, you know, didn't even think I was an OA member, I'm going to three meetings a week, you know, and then, and then I got involved. I, my, my mom told me about the inner group in LA, and there I could announce this new team meeting. So I went and I got elected as the young people's chair on the inner group board, and all of a sudden I'm going to more and more meetings, and all of a sudden, you know, a year later, my life had completely turned around. Um, I started, people started giving me so much attention in OA, and I started getting that same love that I would gotten from my aunt and from my cousins in Israel, I started getting in OA. And I had never been, I had been to a dance in junior high school, but I was so afraid of girls, and, and I didn't dance, I just showed up, I think, once. And in OA, people came with me, and I got to go with a fellowship, of, and, and I remember going to a dance with people. And, you know, OA is where I grew up. You know, literally and literally and figuratively and emotionally and all that stuff. I never believed in God. Um, I was raised Jewish and I really identified culturally, but that was it. And in a way, I decided I wasn't going to deal with the God stuff. But that first summer of 1977, I'd been in OA a little more than a year, had lost about 25 pounds or so, started having friends. And I was driving to a meeting. Those days, you know, I don't, we used to go all over the place and people say, come, I'm speaking at a meeting, let's all get together, go to dinner, go out. And I did it and all of a sudden I thought, all of a sudden I have friends, I have this group of people, I'm not as fat as I was, I was never, I've never gotten thin, well, I wasn't as thin as I wanted to be. Um, but all of a sudden my life was just had completely turned around and, um, and I said there had to be a higher power. Because how could my life completely turn around? Um, I didn't think I was abstaining because, like I said, I didn't do it the way my mother had done it. 
And so after I did this for about a, over a year, I didn't take a candle. I knew I had started calling in my food and lost weight, but it wasn't until the second year that I said, you know, somehow I kept my weight off for, after that time, it was two years, and I decided um, that was, and my mother had said that, you know, what you're doing, you know, people have seen different ways, and, and especially being a young person, it was a lot more appropriate what I was doing. I never stopped eating sugar. I didn't, you know, that was my big thing, like, oh, I can never have a piece of cake again. I can never have this and that. And the way I was abstaining, um, I eventually started counting my calories, and and I would call it in not all the time, I would, different phases depending on the circumstance. But um, I never gave up anything specific. It was just I stopped eating all the time. I stopped using food like drugs, and, um, and it worked for me. For me, that, that's really what worked for me. Um, uh, because of OA, I'll fast forward. Uh, somebody who thought they could never function. I, when I graduated high school, I was so surprised to be alive, to be a normal weight, to have a normal life. I had a job. I was an assistant manager at Jack in the Box, always with food in those days. Um, but I couldn't believe I could function. And I remember going to college. I went to Cal State Northridge, which wasn't very far from West L.A. where I grew up. But, you know, that was a big fear step in moving out of my parents' house. And will I still abstain if I don't have my parents watching what I'm eating? And I lost even more weight, you know, actually. And, and my program got better because I only had myself to deal with. Uh, I had a bad relationship with my parents. We fought and screamed. It, it wasn't a healthy relationship. But after I moved out, I, I learned to make amends to my parents and learned that even though they were crazy, I could make a relationship. And I'd say I lost both my parents over the last, uh, it's almost eight years. It'll be seven and a half. Uh, first, my mom of this disease. You know, she just killed herself with food and obesity and diabetes. But uh, and then my dad two years after that. But I had a great relationship with both of them, and they were as crazy as they didn't change. But I had a wonderful relationship, and I really miss them. And they were a big part of my life. Um, so I got through. I got through college though. I never had to binge. Um, I've been at the same job uh, uh, 23 years. I worked for a bank, and I've had, and I have a prestigious position, and I've done well. And, and I'm, I was somebody who couldn't, didn't think they could function. And I always talk, of, I talk about my job not because of any of the accolades, but just it's so amazing to me. Sometimes when I a lot of stress or people at my work will say, "How do you do it? You always stay calm." And it's because of this program, and it's because of a higher power, and it's working the principles in all my fears, including work. And uh, and, you know, and I get a lot of attention to work on. I've been very successful at my job. And, you know, all those accolades are great for five minutes, and I do work for that. I work for the pride of doing a good job, and I love getting awards and doing well. But that lasts for a minute, but it's the inside. It's that I enjoy going to work every day, and I'm doing an honest day's work, and I'm helping people. And there was somebody I was training who just became a manager, and I got to go to her graduation lunch. And they said, what is the one thing you learned from your mentor? And she said, you know, I learned after being in a sales and money job for 20 years, what I learned, David taught me, that you can be, you can be very successful and still care about people and make it a humanistic, make your work humanistic and care about people. And I thought, she got it. And, and she got it, and it's from a way that I could share without her ever having to know about the program or a way. And somebody got what, I'm, and what I've gotten from a way and what I can spread in this world. I have a, a wife who's a member of this program, and we've had a long relationship. Um, we, have two, we have twins that are uh, going to be six years old, and I have an autistic son. And life can be really crazy right now. You know, with, I work a lot of hours. I, give, I still give a lot of service in a way. Um, both me and my wife have to go to at least one or two meetings a week. I mean, there's a lot to life. With an artistic son, there's a lot. Uh, I mean, it's just a lot of life. And, and I don't have the time to sit and meditate in the morning like I used to. And it's, it's difficult. I can't, you know, if I get to two meetings a week, I feel really great or getting to go to this convention. Uh, but it's all because of this program that I can do this. And, and, and sometimes I amaze myself, you know, that I'm not the parent my parents were to me. And I can take the good stuff. My parents did a lot of good stuff for us. And, like, 
the one thing I know is they showed me a lot of love, and that's what I learned in OA, to look for the good. And, look, and, and I learned a lot about love in this program, and I can see that was the one thing my parents did give me. So I really give my kids a lot, a lot of love. And like my son is doing so well, uh, he's talking and interacting with people, and he's just such a loving kid. You, you, you wouldn't realize it with an autistic how actually loving they can be. And I know it's because of this program. I could never have been prepared. You know, I didn't think I could handle children at my age so many years not having children. Um, and to be able to handle it and yet to have a kid that takes four times the energy of a normal ch child. I lose it. I'm not perfect. But a lot of times I can just, you know, he can scream and yell and have his tantrum. And I can stay calm inside and just give him love and and. and and it's so healthy when I can do it. Not all the time, but I would never be able to do it if it wasn't this. I, couldn't, I wouldn't have been able to deal with it. Um, there's a balance. You know, my kids are here this, this weekend, and there's a balance of taking care of them, taking care of myself, me and my wife taking care of our relationship, taking care of work. I mean, it's all, about, it's all a balance that I never would have had be, before OA because I lived in my head. I like myself. I still am a quiet person. Maybe that's why my son's autistic. Maybe there's a part of me that really needs my space. But there's a balance to that, too. When I'm by myself, I like my company. I can, and I can go away for a day or two by myself and enjoy myself. And then when, I love people. When I'm at a convention, I just love being around a lot of people. Uh, and, and my work, I love, I love people. So it's, but it's all because of this program. All of it. What I say is nothing... I wouldn't have anything if I didn't have this program. And another thing I can impart, especially for young people, is that I have to be gentle. I don't abstain perfectly. There's times that my meals get large. Sometimes, you know, uh, it's the morning and I am already can't wait for what dinner is going to be. You know, I'm not perfect. Um, I'm very gentle on myself. There's a lot of things I would like to do more. Um, but I just keep coming back. 27 years, I keep coming back. I don't, if I'm not perfect, I don't binge no matter what. You know, I don't use my absence. I guess my bottom line is I don't use food like a drug. I don't go on a binge with food. Um, you know, and, and I'm, I always have to be aware that I'm a compulsive overeater and I have to um, watch it. Anyway, I really appreciate everybody being here because I need you. I can't do this as part of this program is we can't do it alone. And I hope if you got anything, that's great. But I always need to share that's part of, um, reminds me who I am and it centers me. And it gives me another day of absence. So thank you very much for being here. And I'll turn it back to Mickey. Thank you very much, David. You need to sign this. Oh, I signed before I, okay. Yep. Thank you, David. Okay, it's now time for sharing on the topic, and I guess the topic is feeling good about yourself. What makes you feel good about yourself? This meeting is being taped, so be sure that you sign this release form after you share. And those wishing to share, please line up over here. Hi, I'm Julia, compulsive overeater. Feeling good about myself, that's a great topic. Um, I shared in another room that I had gone through um, losing my partner. You know, we split, and my partner left me after 12 years of marriage, and it was really painful. And it was, it's definitely been the hardest year of my life without hesitation. But what I've also discovered is just an um, incredible amount of joy, and there are parts of me that have been able to, to be there, to come out, because I am free of someone who was wonderful, but who was also very controlling, and so my child side has come out. Um, my son and I had a joint birthday party water fight, kids versus grown-ups, and we celebrated April Fool's Day together with practical jokes, you know, all through the day. And uh, we had a holiday party, and my, um, my ex would never have people come over. You know, I'd always say, I'll do everything. I'll, you know, I'll make all the food. I'll do all the cleanup. I'll do everything if we could just have another couple over or, you know, group of friends. 
And it was pretty much always no. And um, so what I'm experiencing is kind of building up self-esteem brick by brick and finding out who I am without twining around somebody else and sometimes turning myself inside out for somebody else. I mean, I always wanted a lawn, you know, classic American dream, and we could never have a lawn because that wasn't my ex's vision. I couldn't have a birch tree because that wasn't part of the vision. And guess what? I wake up every morning, there is a lawn outside my window, and there's a birch tree right in the middle of that lawn. And um, I, you know, I do my reading, my prayers, and my writing every morning. And I, I say good morning to that birch tree and good morning to the world that I'm in. So it's still a struggle. You know, I sometimes still feel lonely. I still miss human affection and dare I say it, S-E-X, you know, but um, I'm having fun, and I'm having more fun, more people over, more joy with my son. I've never been closer. I realized I've read him, in the year I've been apart, I have shared like 30 novels with him and read him everything from Robert Heinlein to Huckleberry Finn, and it's just been a joy. So I am so grateful to be in OA, to be in recovery. I went through a relapse, but for two and a half months I've been in recovery again, and it's just great to be here and great to see you all. Thank you. Thank you. Who would like to share? You don't have to. Okay, I'll share. My name is Mickey. I'm a compulsive overeater. I was sitting here and thinking back almost 50 years. And I've been a compulsive overeater since I was five years old, and that's documented. But regardless, I was thinking back to the time that I was a very young married woman. And there was a time I was a very young married woman. And there were a group of us, husbands and wives, that... We're our, we were our social group, and at that time, I was controlling my weight and my eating through the use of abusing prescription drugs and a lot of amphetamines. Uh, and at that time, one of the women in the group was fat, and I was very critical of her, and I used to say things like, look at Jerry, how could she let herself go like that while I'm popping speed? But... Jerry was fat and I wasn't. And Jerry got cancer. And it took a whole year for Jerry to die. And it was a kind of cancer that at that time the American Cancer Society didn't recognize. And therefore they didn't give this young family, husband, wife, and four-year-old boy, any support whatsoever. And by the time Jerry died, they were totally bankrupt. And we went to the wake, and this was very, very unusual. First of all, it was unusual in those days for a Jewish funeral to have an open coffin. That was one thing. And also, they couldn't afford a funeral home, so they had this open coffin in the dining room of their home, of their apartment. And we went there to pay our respects, my husband and I, and I was a little shocked when I saw this open coffin, but I knew I had to be respectful because this was a person I cared about. Fifty years, and I'm still sad over this. And as we walk up, there was another couple standing over the coffin and looking down on Jerry. And this was the conversation. Wow, would you look at Jerry. Boy, did she lose weight. She never looked this good when she was alive. And all these years, until I came to OA, I just had that, that core belief that it was going to take a year of cancer for me to be thin enough for someone to say, wow, look at Mickey. Boy, did she lose weight. Does she look good? When I came to this program 15 years ago, someone handed me a Xerox sheet, and on it it said, I'm not what I want to be, I'm not what I could be, I'm not what I should be, but by the grace of God, I'm not what I once was. And so for me, 
happiness is being in this program and being in recovery on a daily basis. And I'm so grateful for it. And I'm so grateful for my friend who, when I said, I am a compulsive overeater, she said to me, no, Mickey, you are not. You are not your disease. You are, and then she said all kinds of loving, complimentary things to me, but she said, you are not your disease. And today, I am not my disease. I have a disease, but I am not my disease. And today, I'm a happy camper in a way. So thank you for letting me share. And who would like to share? Hi, I'm Vicki. I'm a compulsive overeater. Thank you, David. I enjoyed you speak very much and all of you who have shared today. Um, I've been in OA 28 years, uh, one day at a time, and honest to God, I feel like a newcomer. Uh, the joy that I feel today, the feeling good part of it, it comes from a lot of hard work. But, you know, what am I going to do? The time is going to go, and what else am I going to do with that time if not work on myself? I've been so busy all my life working on everyone else that I never really thought I had any time to work on me. And if everyone would just straighten up, then I would be okay. And stop looking at what I'm eating. You know, I'm not what I'm eating. Don't, why do you judge me by what I'm eating? And yet I walked around judging everybody by everything that they did. And it was kind of like a double standard for me. Um, I'm going through a meditation program now which supplements OA to the degree that I'm beginning to understand what it means to feel good about myself. And what that means for me is that I have to look at those core beliefs, the beliefs that, that came from my mother, that came from my father, from teachers, uh, what I believed about my health, what I believed about money, what I believed about everything in my life. And it's amazing that even though mentally I say to myself, well, I want this or I don't want that, somehow or other I never got what I wanted because underneath I had that core belief that I didn't deserve it, that I'd never have enough. I never had enough of anything, food, money, men, you name it. There was never enough. And through the years with relapse and with not working the steps and working the steps and and sponsoring and then not sponsoring and uh, hanging on to people and then not hanging on to people. You know, so many phases. And I've come to the one conclusion that makes me feel so good. I'm a newcomer. I'm a one-day-to-person person. If somebody says to me, well, I had 12, 12 days abstinence and I blew it, and I say, no, 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 no. You just have one day. That's all. And tomorrow you have one day again. And the day after, just note down when you came into OA so you can celebrate your anniversary when the year comes or the three months come or the 90 days. But the best you can do is take it one day at a time and not go back. We can't go back because if we go back, then we'll have all our misery back again too. And I know that my eating was never the same, never the same after I came back to OA. So I'm very grateful to be here. I'm so grateful to be here with my very best friend, Nikki, and with all of you. Thanks for letting me share. We still have time. Who would like to share? Hi, my name is. Can you hear me? <laughs> oh, it's a, oh, it's recording. Hi, my name is Deborah, and I'm a grateful recovering um, compulsive overeater. Hi. Um, feeling good about myself. Um, what I'm realizing is, if I stay in the moment, um, I don't think about yesterday, and uh, I especially don't think about the future. I just stay in today. Then. I really actually feel very good about myself. But when I start to think about my past, um, then my old patterns seem to want to come in. And when I start to think too much about the future, I think, well, I want to be this, I want to be that. But when I'm, when I'm, when I find that I'm 
here today and just just being present, um, everything's great, you know, because I only have this moment. Um, and that's really where I am um, today. Um, I'm excited to be here with my friend and um, feeling good about myself is just accepting acceptance is what it is, acceptance. I'm doing everything I can for myself in this moment to be good to myself and nurture myself and to be there for other people. And uh, we can't do this alone. We can't do life alone, regardless if we're in a 12-step program or anything else in life. We're, We're not in life alone. We're there for other people. That's why we're on this planet. And in that, we get all the nurturing we need in ourselves. That's that's how I believe, and that's what gets me through every moment, and that's what this program is about, is for me, is other people. Um, and uh, that's it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Who else would like to share? We have time for a couple more. Have any of you ever listened to some of the cassette tapes and listened to dead air? How much do you enjoy that? Wouldn't you rather hear someone's story of recovery? I'd be happy to hear from any of you. Hi, my name is Gina. And I'm gratefully recovering. Um, geez, I've been in the program since last, last March. I always forget the day I came in. And I've been about nine months um, abstinent or at least grateful. Um, so feeling good about myself is the topic, right? Um, kind of coming out of a spiritual abstinence of sorts. Um, I've been stagnant for it seems like three to four months. Um, when God let me down. <laughs> you know, that's that's what it felt like. Everything was going smooth, and I loved God, and, you know, he was, he was working for me. <laughs> um, and then I hit a pretty depressing moment and kind of just came crashing down. And, um, you know, I'm grateful. Actually, I'm very grateful for that moment because it was at that time. It seemed like I had been in such a honeymoon period with food that it was just going so easy. I'm like, am I, am, am I a true compulsive overeater? Do I belong in these groups? You know, I was coming because I appreciated being around people. Um, but with that, with that fall, with that huge fall, um, I knew I knew I was a compulsive overeater. And real quick, I'll tell you a funny story. Um, my husband leaves um, dog biscuits by the door, you know, like a little stash. So when he leaves, he can give the dogs a biscuit, you know, earn their love. And... <laughs> There was, like, one left over, and I kept passing it as I was walking through the room. And I'm like, hmm, that looks good. My whole thing was with treats, you know, like anything that would make you feel better. I'm like, well, if it makes the dogs feel better, you know. <laughs> so I just wanted to tell you that because it was kind of odd and weird um, that I was like, hmm, the dog biscuit looks really good. <laughs> um, what I've come to realize at this point in my life is that um, – Getting out of myself and, oh, my gosh, I can't do anything for anybody and, you know, I'm worthless. Um, you know, it's so easy when you're when you're down to get stuck in that thinking of being down. How do I get out? And it's through, for me, it's I'm noticing helping other people and um, reaching out. Um, and then they, you know, it's, it's, it's like a cycle. You reach out, you need help, and you find out that, you know, they need help too, and you kind of, it's, it's a really neat rhythm, this program, if you really plug into it. And so right now I just feel like I'm being chiseled away, like a really neat, like a sculpture. I can't even imagine how I'm going to turn out to be. And so that that is making me feel good. And having that hope and being there for people ultimately makes me feel good, getting out of myself. So that's all I have to say, and thank you. Any burning desires? 
Pasadena can do it. Since we drove together from Pasadena, I can do it too, right? I'm Stacy. I'm a compulsive overreader. I'm glad to be here. Hi, everybody. I'm David. Thanks for your share. I remember hearing you in L.A. at the birthday bash, and so I was glad to be back to hear a different angle. Um, I, I started my abstinence on Sunday of the birthday anniversary. I came to that birthday bash only having come into OA for one week, so I cried everywhere I went. I was the person, if you were there, that was crying the whole time. And now I'm not crying. Look, isn't that incredible? Um, what makes me happy, I'll tell you, I was just thinking of several things. It's waking up in the morning and thanking God that I have another day to be abstinent. I'm thanking God for the day before that he kept me abstinent. Uh, getting out and going for a walk before my uh, three- and five-year-old are awake while my husband's still home before leaving for work and smelling a rose along the way and meditating. I call that my prayer walk. Um, I'm really happy that I, right away after returning from the birthday bash, just asked somebody to be my sponsor who I adore and receive great advice from. And, um, you know, she sent me in the direction of journaling every day, reading every day, working the program 100%. And that makes me really happy to be doing that. I, I came into OA wondering why on earth I can possibly open up a box of seed candy somebody gives me thinking I was only going to eat one piece and ate the entire box in one hour. That was my burning question. Why on earth can I eat so much junk, you know, and, and have my stomach turned inside out and, sure, gain the weight, um, but feel so miserable about myself. And at the time, too, my relationship with my God was, was distancing because the promises that I would make when I'd wake up in the morning weren't being fulfilled. I didn't make it through the day. And so I needed to find out what on earth was going on in me. And um, and so I've learned an awful lot, and that makes me very happy to understand a lot better uh, about this being a disease and uh, just, you know, everything that we learn. And uh, so I'm just really grateful for working the steps and understanding more and more about, you know, the crazy, insane things that I do and feel appreciated that other people have similar things that they go through, not the same stories, but similar things, and that makes me feel real comfortable. It's really great to just be here, and um, well, thanks for letting me share. Thank you very much. Uh, that's all the time we have for sharing. If you want to share, uh, if you haven't had an opportunity to share, please see someone after the meeting. And I just want to close with one little quick story. I'm sure you've heard the story of the two monks. And these two monks are walking along, and I will, I will abbreviate the story. And the young monk wants to impress the older one. And so he says, you see that man across the river? I have the ability to make a paper appear in his hand with the name of a long-lost friend written on it. And the older monk said, Big deal, you know. That's not so so uh, important. He said, I can do something that's m the most difficult thing in life. And the young monk said, what is that? And the old monk said, most difficult thing in life, I eat when I'm hungry and I drink when I'm thirsty. Yeah. <sighs> Pretty appropriate. Anyhow, uh, it is time to close this session. So if we can circle up, please. And join me in a moment of silence, followed by the serenity prayer. Thank you. 